Hey, I'm Zach. I'm the lead pastor here at Restore. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast today. I hope that this message encourages you. I hope that it inspires you. And I hope that it causes you to dive deeper into God's word. I also hope that you have some community around you that you can talk through some of these things with. Now, I want to remind you that we are in the middle of our year in the story, which is really this deep dive into God's great story and our place in it. If you'd like more information about that or more information about our community here at Restore, you can get that on our website at restoreaustin.org. We'd really love to see you soon. Thanks for listening. I want every person in this room or watching on a screen or listening somewhere to close your eyes. Okay, close your eyes. Now I want you to envision heaven. Keep them closed. Envision heaven. We all have different experiences and understandings, so don't worry about being right or wrong. When I say heaven, what comes into your mind? What does it look like? Who's there? What are people doing? What is God doing? There's an author named John Eldridge who captures the usual pictures that come into my mind when I think about heaven. He says, nearly every Christian I've spoken with has some idea that eternity is an unending church service. We have settled on an image of the never-ending sing-along in the sky, one great hymn after another, forever and ever, amen, and our heart sinks. If you haven't yet, go ahead and open your eyes. See, when most of us envision heaven, we see church services. We see sing-alongs. We see pearly gates or streets of gold or angels in the clouds or any of the images from the video we just watched. I actually think that The Simpsons might be the closest, but we'll come back to that in just a second. My point is this. None of us have a hard time coming up with pictures of heaven, right? When I asked you to close your eyes, something came to mind. Images of heaven are all around us as well. They're in movies, they're in books, they're in art, they're in conversations. Basically, everyone in America has some image that enters their mind when they hear the word heaven. And the same is true of hell. Most of us usually put these two words alongside each other as a pair, right? Like salt and pepper, life and death, war and peace, heaven and hell. We even name this series that we are currently in heaven and hell and other things we don't understand very well. (laughs) Now, if you were here a few weeks ago when we began this series, by talking about heaven, you'll remember that even though heaven and hell are a natural pairing in our language and in our culture, they actually never appear next to each other in the Bible. In fact, they don't even appear in the same sentence in the Bible, not one single time. Isn't that incredible? Something that we have so closely put together does not even appear together in the same sentence in the Bible. Because in the Bible, hell is not the word pairing for heaven. Earth is. The combination of heaven and hell appear zero times in the same sentence, but heaven and earth appear 195 times together. Isn't that incredible? Heaven and hell, zero. Heaven and earth, 195. Heaven and earth are basically what the entire story of the Bible is kind of centered around. Pastor and author Tim Mackey puts it like this. He says, the union of heaven and earth is what the story of the Bible is all about, how they were once fully united, then driven apart, and then about how God is bringing them back together again. 
And my friends, that is what makes this Heaven and Hell series so vitally important as a part of this larger conversation we've been having together over the last few months, really since August. We're calling it a year in the story. And it's really just this deep dive, spending a year and attempting to understand God's great story and our place in it. And if we want to understand God's great story and our place in it, we have to understand this thread of heaven and earth that kind of weaves itself all throughout the biblical story. Now, back in week one of this series, we talked about this, but it's important to revisit it for a moment. In the Bible, heaven comes to be synonymous with God's space, and earth comes to be synonymous with our space. That makes sense? Heaven is God's space. Earth is our space. And like Tim Mackey said, the story of how God's space and our space were once fully united, then driven apart, and then about how God is bringing them back together again is really the whole story of the Bible. Now, here's what I mean. We've been using these graphics all throughout our time together. So at the beginning, heaven and earth were one place. There was no distinction between God's space and between our space. So this was in the Garden of Eden, right? The Bible tells us that God walked and talked together with Adam and Eve, that they were all together as one, united, heaven and earth. There was no distinction at all, but we wanted our own space. And that's illustrated in the fact that God puts this tree in the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and he says, hey, trust me, you don't want to eat of this tree. And Adam and Eve are like, nah, I think we do. And there's this serpent, right? And he, he tempts them and he says, actually, if you eat of this, you will be like God. And like God in the sense that you'll get to make the rules. You'll get to decide what's good and what's evil. You'll get to be in charge. You'll get to have your own space where you rule. So Adam and Eve said, yeah, I want that. So they chose that. And God said, if you want your own space, here it is. And so heaven and earth are separated. They were once fully united, but now they are driven apart. And after heaven and earth are separated, the Bible begins giving us distinctive characteristics of these two spaces. Heaven, it says, is filled with justice and mercy and goodness and beauty. And earth is filled with sin and injustice and ugliness and evil. We even start hearing synonyms for these two spaces. So God's space is called the kingdom of God or eternal life or paradise. And our space is called the world the present age or the age of sin and death. And these two things are driven apart. But then God does something amazing and he starts to bring them back together just a little bit. You see the overlap there with the, the red and the blue come together and there's some purple in the middle. And so this is an incredible picture of God, even though he said, if you want your own space, you can have it. I'll withdraw to my space. He hadn't given up on us just yet. So through things like the temple or the tabernacle or his, his covenant with the people of Israel or all these other times in the Old Testament, he comes down and he makes this overlap where people can experience the fullness of his presence. He comes after us. And then he decides that he is going to fix that completely. And he, he puts on flesh and he comes down in the person of Jesus and the overlap that was once kind of here and gone or, or sometimes and not other times is now fixed with the cross. Jesus comes down. And if, if you remember the story of his life and then his death, at, at the moment he dies on the cross, the moment he breathes his last, there's this incredible passage that says the, the what is that? The, the curtain, thank you. The curtain in between 
the Holy of Holies and kind of the regular part of the temple where people couldn't go back and go into where God's presence was, that, that curtain, that veil is torn in two. And it's torn from top to bottom. It's God tearing that away and saying, no, 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 through Jesus, this place is now fixed. My presence is here forever. There is a part of the world where heaven and earth, where my space and your space forever overlap. And that's in the person of Jesus. And then through the life of Jesus that overlaps, he actually gives his life to us. And he tasks us with, like Matt just talked about, bringing little pieces of heaven to earth. And he tells us, go out, make disciples of all nations, teaching them everything that I have taught you, bringing more and more of heaven to earth. You remember when he taught the disciples how to pray, right? It says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's teaching us to take these pieces of heaven to earth, all the characteristics, goodness and mercy and grace and godliness, taking them into the brokenness of the world and sharing his grace and hope and love with everyone we encounter. That's us, those little crosses. That's our job, bringing heaven to earth. God's great story in the Bible is not about us going to heaven. It's about heaven coming to earth. And that means that if you are a Christian in this room, our goal is not to just get to heaven someday and take as many people with us as we can. Christians aren't just waiting for heaven. We are being used by God to bring heaven to earth. God isn't abandoning this world. He's restoring it and he's using us to do it. And then lastly, we have this fully reunited God space in our space. Heaven and earth were one. They were driven apart and God is bringing them back together again. And when he brings them back together again, that is called in scripture, the new heaven and new earth. Jesus returns and fully reunites heaven and earth again. Everything will be restored. Everything will be brought back to God's original intention for it. It's the kingdom of God that Jesus talks about fully realized. The separation between God's space and our space is gone forever, not just temporarily, but forever. And just like Jesus was resurrected from the dead, everyone who is a part of the family of God will be resurrected to spend eternity with him in the new heaven and new earth. And that is what this final week of our heaven and hell series is all about. The new heaven and new earth. Now we aren't going to be talking about who gets into the new heaven and new earth or who doesn't. We aren't gonna be talking about the end times and how the new heaven and new earth kind of come about and, and usher everything in. We did our best to answer those questions and more in the first three weeks of this series. You can watch them online or on the podcast or whatever, and I would encourage you to do so. But today we are talking about what this new heaven and new earth will actually be like and why it is so much better than what usually comes into our minds when we think about heaven. When we think of heaven, we usually think about what happens after we die, right? We think about dying and we think about going to heaven. But of the 600 plus times the word heaven is used in the Bible, none of them talk about what happens immediately after we die. If you were here in week one of this series, you may remember there are only really three passages in the entire Bible that discuss what happens to people right after they die. Here's what they have in common. Jesus tells the thief next to him on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. When Paul talks about 
dying in his letters to the early church. He's in prison. He doesn't know if he's going to make it. He says, I long to go and be with Christ. I long to be at home with the Lord. You see, from these three passages, we can conclude that people who are a part of God's family are with Jesus when they die. But my friends, as, as good as that news is, it's not our great hope. It's not our great hope. Our great hope is what happens after Jesus comes back and we are resurrected to new life. One of my favorite theologians, a guy named N.T. Wright, cleverly talks about this as life after, life after death. Life after, life after death. You see, most Christians are so concerned with life after death, something that the Bible talks about very little, that we miss the great hope of the biblical story, and that is life after, life after death. Resurrection and eternal life in the kingdom of God. And here's my hope over the next few minutes is that as we look at what scripture says, we will vividly see that the new heaven and new earth are actually so much better than angelic church services or never-ending sing-alongs. It's so much better than that. The new heaven and new earth is talked about primarily in the last book of the Bible, the Revelation. And honestly, y'all, it's, it's depicted with such beauty, such vivid imagery in such detail that I want to spend the rest of our time together just kind of walking through it, just looking at the description. Does that sound good? Just kind of looking at what scripture says and talking about what that might be, okay? So open with me to Revelation 21. We're going to start in verse 1. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Now, that, that no longer any sea is kind of confusing for us, right? Why would there not be any sea any longer if you are like a, an ocean sport kind of a person? You're kind of frustrated by that, right? But if, if you understand the kind of culture and context in which this is being written, the sea for people in the first century world was a devastating and dangerous place, right? In fact, the, the Jewish people really had no presence on the ocean. They kind of left that to, to other nations to, to go out and try to be seafaring, but, but they had terrible experiences with the water. It was kind of the, the epitome all throughout scripture of chaos and danger and death. It was, it was really the most dangerous thing for ancient civilizations was the sea. In today's words, it might be talking about like nuclear weapons or something like that, right? So then I saw a new heaven and new earth for the first heaven and first earth had passed away and there was no longer any threat of nuclear war. There was no longer the most dangerous thing you can imagine for civilization is gone. Isn't that beautiful? There was no longer any sea. He says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. There's that God space and our space coming back together again. There's no more distinction anymore. Just like God walked and talked with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, he will be with us. We will be his people. He will be our God. God himself will be with 
them. This language actually harkens back to the same indwelling, dwelling language that it talks about when Jesus came to earth and dwelt among us. It's the same language. God comes to earth, dwells among us forever. No more distinction between heaven and earth. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. That, that, that phrase, the old order of things is so magnificent to me. You see, the world that we know it now, this, this current order of things, it's a zero sum game. And here's what I mean by that, right? For, for, the, for the lion to eat, the antelope has to die, right? It's a zero sum game. Most of the time for, for you to get a promotion in your job, somebody else has to not get a promotion. For you to get a job, somebody else has to not get that job. You know what I mean? For you to be on top, someone else has to be on bottom. That is the rule of our world today. But those old things will pass away. No longer will we be competing with each other, putting each other down, trying to triumph over each other. The old order of things will pass away and there will be a new order. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Now catch that. I am making all things new. This is restoration, not destruction and recreation. Does that make sense? This is an important distinction. He's not just destroying everything and starting over again. He is making all things new. He's restoring them. He's not abandoning this world. He's making it new. I want to show you one other amazing thing. So you may have seen quotations around a few different parts of those verses, right? So in, in verse one, it says, then I saw a new heaven and new earth. That part is in quotations, but the whole thing is a quote, right? So those quotations are seemingly out of place. Now to understand those quotations, you have to understand that Revelation was written by a guy named John. And he penned this book after receiving a revelation or a vision from God. In this vision, John was shown how Jesus would return and, and complete his mission of restoration as well as what this restored world would look like. And in order to describe it, just like any of us would, John does the same thing throughout the book. He uses pictures and images from the Old Testament, their holy book, and from the first century Near East world in which he lived. That's what we would do, right? If we were given a vision, a revelation to describe it to our friends, we would say, it was like this. Remember, we, we read in this book, it was just like that. Or, or you know, this thing that's, that's happening in our world, it was kind of like that. That's what John does here. And this is where the quotation marks come from. John names this reuniting of God's space and our space, new heaven and new earth, which is a borrowed title from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. So let's go there for a moment, okay? Isaiah chapter 65. You can turn there. The verses will also be on the screen behind me. And if you listen closely to Isaiah in chapter 65, you'll recognize a lot of the language John just used in Revelation 21. He's quoting from him. So speaking for God in chapter 65 of his book, Isaiah predicts the very thing John saw in his vision thousands of years before. And again, I want to just read through it and I want to just soak it up together. It says, see, I will create a new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. Pause there for just a second. 
the former things. So the, the other thing talked about the old things will pass away. The old order of things will pass away. It's a new world order. It's a new kingdom, right? When we did a series way back. We talked about the kingdom of God and the parables that Jesus um, told while he was on earth about God's kingdom. We called it upside down kingdom because it's so drastically different from the kingdom in which we live. So the old order of things have passed away, but not just that. The former things will not even be remembered, nor will they come to mind. Look, I know for me and for so many of you, you are walking through life carrying burdens and trauma. And there are things that trigger you, right? And it makes you just go right back to that trauma, right back to that addiction, right back to those horrible, hard places that you've been in. And I know for many of us, we live in fear of those triggers, right? This, this says they will not be remembered anymore, nor will they come to mind. You will never be triggered again in the new heaven and new earth. All of the trauma, all of the pain, all of the, the worst things that you have walked through, you will remember them no more. Isn't that beautiful? Let's keep going. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more. Never again where there'll be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his years. I know that many of us in this room have experienced the devastation of losing a child, losing a loved one, way before their time came. That's all over in the new heaven and new earth. Never again will there be an infant who lives but a few days or someone who does not live out the fullness of their life in eternity, eternal life with Jesus. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere child. Isn't that awesome? Isaiah like inserts this little kind of pithy saying in there. He knows like we're all going to live forever. So he's like, you die a hundred, you're going to be even thought of as a child. Like that, that's how amazing eternal life is with God. That's how never ending it is. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. Now, I love that passage as well, right? Because there's no more servanthood in the new heaven and new earth. You don't work for anyone else in the new heaven and new earth. You build a house and you live in it. You plant a vineyard and you harvest it. You plant food and you eat it. There's no more debt you don't owe anyone anything. There's no more class systems. There's no more slavery. There's no more debt to be owed. Everything is equal. Everybody is the same. Are you looking forward to that? Man, amen. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune. Now, you may recognize some of that language as well, because it actually harkens back to the curse in Genesis 3. When Adam and Eve said, I, I don't want to trust you, God. I want to do my own thing. Right? I, I want my own place. I want to rule my own kingdom. 
God told them, if you do that, your labor will be hard. You will work the ground and it, and it won't produce very well. You'll have pain in childbirth. You'll have trouble with children, right? And Adam and Eve, one of their first children, Cain, murders one of their other first children, Abel. They, they lived this. So many of us in this room have kids that we have struggled with, whether they are young, whether they are grown. And, and for so many of us, we think it's our fault. We think that we messed them up. We think that we fell short. And I'm here to tell you that we all fell short because this world is broken. But in the world to come, my friends, there will be no more struggles with family. We just finished Thanksgiving, right? We're about to go into Christmas. I know the family struggle is real for a lot of us. Instead of sitting around those tables, as great as it may be, instead of sitting around those tables thinking, oh, I, don't, I wonder what they're thinking about what I just said. I wonder where this person is. I wonder why they didn't come this year. All of the, the struggle, the animosity, the, the hurt feelings, the brokenness that exists in every single one of our families will be gone and we will be united around a table with God's family, with our family. It'll be beautiful and it will be perfect. The curse is reversed from Genesis 3. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. I love that. Even before you ask God for something, he hears it. Even while you're still talking, he gives you what you want, the desires of your heart in this new heaven and new earth. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. The lion will eat straw like the ox and dust will be the serpent's food. This is that old order of things again. The lion and the lamb didn't used to feed together. The lion fed on the lamb, right? But they will feed together. The wolf and the lamb, the lion will eat the straw and dust will be the serpent's food. The serpent here is that same serpent from Genesis, that evil behind the empire we talked about last week, if you were here, that evil that influences our world that people give into all the time. Dust will be its food. It's funny because we use that saying today, right? Like that will make them eat dust, you know? That's the word from God here about what he is going to do to evil in the new heaven and new earth. It will be vanquished forever. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, that new heaven and new earth, that holy mountain, the fully realized kingdom of God. They will neither harm nor destroy, says the Lord. All of this is the new heaven and new earth. It's a lot like our world now in some ways, but it's perfected. I don't think it's this never-ending sing-along or this church service in the clouds. I think it's our world without the brokenness. I think it's a, a place where the old order of subjugating people so that others can thrive is done. Everyone thrives in the new heaven and new earth. No one works for anyone else. No one owes anyone anything. There is no racism or sexism or classism, no oppression. We are all completely and perfectly equal in the new heaven and new earth. It's a place where death and all the things that it brings, sadness and bitterness and mourning and pain are done away with forever. A place where there is no more war, no more weapons, no more hostility. 
a place where everything is defined by something the Bible calls shalom, which is this perfect, abundant goodness. Every person and every relationship lives inside of that shalom. There are beautiful metaphors used throughout the biblical story to describe the new heaven and new earth, right? God's holy mountain, a city made of gold, a garden with a never-ending river running through it, a mustard seed that starts small but grows into this safe place to find refuge, a treasure worth giving up everything else to find. But probably the most often pictured metaphor for the new heaven and new earth throughout the biblical story is the banquet feast. It's this huge party with the best food and the best wine and the best company. Isaiah, the same prophet we just read, speaks of a banquet like this. On this mountain, right, the, the holy mountain of the Lord God, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people, the sheet that covers all nations. That's this, this evil, this death. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all the faces. He will remove forever the insults and the mockery against his land and against his people. The Lord has spoken. Jesus picks up this metaphor as well. He uses it to describe the goodness or the fullness of God's kingdom in his story about the prodigal son, in his story about the wedding feast. Even Revelation talks about a great wedding banquet for the Lamb of God. In fact, on the night before Jesus lays, lays his life down on the cross, he's eating a meal with his best friends and he tells them a day is coming when they will sit around a table and share a meal in the kingdom of God. It happens in Luke 22, starting in verse 14. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. He's gonna eat this meal with them then and then he's gonna eat with them again in the new heaven and new earth. The Jewish people had been eating the Passover meal together every year since God used Moses to free the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. But on that night, the night before Jesus is betrayed and killed, he changes everything. He tells them that he's about to die and be raised to life again. And he also tells them that someday they would be sharing this meal around a table in the kingdom of God. And in between those two meals, the meal that night, the night before he laid his life down and was resurrected. And the day when they will share that meal again in the kingdom of God, Jesus tells his followers to keep eating together, to remember his resurrection, and to look forward to the time when they will eat together again in the kingdom of God. And for the last 2,000 years, we have been doing just that, gathering around tables to eat, to remember the resurrection of Jesus and to look forward to anticipate the new heaven and new earth to come. Today, we're gonna to continue that tradition by taking communion together here at Restore.
We've taken communion together many times and many different ways here at Restore, but today we're doing it a little bit differently. You may have noticed when you walked in there, banquet tables on either side of the room. Today we're gonna do it around a banquet table. I love this quote from a pastor named Brian Zahn. He said, the kingdom of God is like eating and drinking with close friends and having nothing to prove. You know you belong. You know you're welcome there. I want that quote to be how it feels when we share communion together this morning. So here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna pray and the band is gonna come back up. And after I finish, I'm gonna dismiss you to the table that is closest to you. And I want you to get really close with everyone and gather all around it. And we're going to share this meal together. And if you're here this morning and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, that is totally okay. Please don't feel pressured to share in this communion time. If you're just checking out faith, you can just stay in your seat. That is, that is totally fine. No one will judge you, I promise. But if you're here and you are already a part of the family of God or you are ready to be a part of the family of God, to look back on the resurrection and forward to the new heaven and new earth, this time is for you. So let's pray and then we'll take it together. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word from scripture. Thank you that even though many things in your word are hard to understand, that they can be tough to figure out, that we have to go deep and really dive into them to see all that's going on, that the new heaven and new earth is not one of those things, that you talk about it explicitly and perfectly and fully and in amazing detail, that we can read these long passages describing it and have beautiful pictures come to our mind about what your world fully restored will be like. Thank you for revealing this to us this morning. And I pray that as we share this communion meal together, we will remember what you've done, the resurrection. Recognize what you are doing in this church and in our lives and look forward to what you will do in the new heaven and new earth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.